0: Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter eleven. And if you're visiting, we don't just show funny videos. We uh, we love God's Word. We treasure it. We are under it. Um, we are under its authority, and um, we work through it. So we've uh, worked all our way through. We're in chapter eleven of Hebrews. And if you're also visiting, Dr. Young just started a series on Hebrews. So that's a pretty wild thing. You'll hear it through, and you'll hear his perspective. I think it'll be pretty exciting. So. Here we are, Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 13, and this is God's word. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in the United States, we have a Department of Homeland Security. And uh, it's a phrase that's fairly common to us, uh, even though it's uh, for a lot of us, it wasn't the it wasn't the phrase that we were born into in this world, right? I mean, it happened in 2002 after 9/11 happened, and uh, Department of Homeland Security. And you know, a lot of your kids have grown up; they've never known anything but the Department of Homeland Security. But homeland is kind of a strange expression. It's kind of old timey, isn't it? Homeland. Uh, You think of oh, back in the old country, you know, the homeland and all that, and. Um, you know, I've got several uncles that uh, are all into ancestry and all that kind of stuff. And I've seen a picture of the village that the Umlauf supposedly came from in Germany. You know, it's like an ox cart and, you know, a black and white shot. And and I've always kind of wanted to go there. Not that they would know me, but there's something about the homeland. You know, there's something that kind of pulls about the homeland. How about this? Has anybody here ever been to England? Did you experience what we experienced when we went there um, a number of years ago? you kind of feel connected to them, don't you? I uh, mean, you speak the same language and their buildings are different, but they speak the same language and you know TV shows overlap and movies and James Bond and all that stuff. You feel connected that way, but you feel a strange connection to them, don't you? I think it's because we know that we kind of came from them. There's this, this pull, there's this, this homeland thing that's kind of uh, embedded. There's this uh, kind of a affection that we have toward the Brits. And of course, in America, uh, God bless America, my home sweet home. So what's the big idea today? I think the big idea we're supposed to see in this passage is this, where your homeland is, there your heart will be also. And I want you to know, I put a sermon point up there like that, um, a message point, a big idea point like that, with, with great trepidation. Because the last thing I want to do is take the scriptures and massage them for my own benefit, or be cute with the scriptures, or uh, feel like I can monkey around with them. But you know, here's the Bible um, in, in the words of Jesus. Here's what he says For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. My question to you is what makes a treasure? A treasure. What is a treasure? What's a treasure? Is it stuff? Is it granite countertops? Is it everybody gets a Porsche? Is that what a treasure is, a Porsche? Uh, is it Jimmy Choo shoes? Or, ladies and gentlemen, is the Christian's treasure the person of the living God? Not just a wonderful location that we can go and chill out later on in, but isn't it the person of the living God this God who is covenanted to make us his people. That's the treasure, the person of the living God, Uh, the one who made covenantal promises. He procured them with the blood of his his son and he secured them in the Holy Spirit who giveth life. So uh, for the Christian, um, the writer of Hebrews is saying where your treasure is, is the heart of your belief system. And uh, I think um, where your ultimate homeland is affects everything about uh, your travels to get to that place. So let's look at our very first sermon point, which is this, the journey's end is not the end. Look at verse 13, if you would. These all died in faith. Now, if you're just coming to this story cold, and you haven't read anything beforehand, you have to stop and go, well, ew, that's kind of a big statement. These all died in faith. Who died in faith? What are we talking about? Well, uh, if you back up, you know, verse eight and following, it's saying by faith, and you know, this whole this whole section all the way through next week, the end of 22, is really about Abraham, what's, what, what God has done with Abraham. He occupies a big chunk of the scriptures here. So by faith, Abraham obeyed. He was called out to go to a place. He leaves his homeland. He goes to a new inheritance. He lives in a land of promise, and a foreign land, um, living in tents. Um, He and his wife, Sarah, have uh, uh, a kid, Isaac, then comes Jacob. And so when it says these all died in faith, it's talking about that package of people, that kind of quartet and probably others too. But particularly that quartet, they died in faith. And uh, listen, that they all died in faith is sermon worthy enough, isn't it? I mean, if you had to sit down and write a, a catchy sermon, they all died in faith, uh, that would be a profound thing to, t- to teach. But there's more to it. End of verse 13, it says, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. So you see that promises were made that they never saw fulfilled in their lifetime. That, that's a profound thing. Abraham and his sons and his wife, many in his household, died longing for the fulfillment of a promise. They believed it, but it took them all the way to the end in their belief, and they died without seeing the actual fulfillment of the, of the promise, and yet their faith did not waver. Now, we're supposed to be gleaning things from that, lessons from that, that they didn't see the fulfillment of the promise, but their faith didn't waver. I mean, we believe in things that we can't see. We believe that a Christ is gonna come again. We believe that a Christ is ascended and is seated at the right hand of God, holding session as king, yet we can't see him. But we believe it. We believe he'll come back and make all things right. It may or may not happen in our lifetime, but we glean from it. You know, um, in Romans 4, uh, uh, twelve, and it's boy, that's a that's a thick hunk of verses there. But in in the middle of that thick hunk of verses, uh, uh, verses twelve and thirteen of Romans, or eleven and twelve, I think it says this about Abraham. It says um, that we're, it says we're to walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had. And the idea is that uh, Abraham is walking and we're kind of in single file behind Abraham, and it's like we're putting our footprints in his footprints, walking where he walked. That's the way we're supposed to be thinking. Um, the, The foremost thought behind that is that Abraham was justified by faith. He believed God, the promise of God, God credited it to him as righteousness, and those are the steps that we walk in God makes a promise of deliverance. We believe in that promise of deliverance wholeheartedly. We bet everything on it. And we walk thus in the footsteps of Abraham. So the journey's end is not the end. It says, uh, it says here they all died in faith. Um, there's, there's a sense that it's ending, right? You die, you come to the end of this life. It's true. Uh, and, and, but it's really, it's really the end of, of the journey of faith, <laughs> When, when we leave this earth, the, the end of the journey isn't just the end of the journey. It's the end of the journey of faith. Because if you can't see something, but you believe it to be so, that's the journey of faith. When you then see the presence of Jesus Christ, when you then experience um, the fulfillment of the promise, well, you, you don't need faith anymore. It's the end of faith's journey. But the journey doesn't end. What's the journey then? When you come into the presence of God, you pass from this life to the next. What, what's the journey then? The journey then is seeing and worshiping and understanding the infinite, glorious attributes of God as he reveals himself and reveals himself and reveals himself and reveals himself. Think about infinite love. He reveals himself in love, but you haven't figured him out yet. And he reveals himself in love, but you haven't figured his love out yet. He reveals himself in justice. You haven't quite always figured it all the way figured his justice out. Again, he reveals himself, reveals himself, this infinite God. And in that sense, the journey continues. And so you get to explore that with the vast amount of others who've been brought in his presence. Is that not a wonderful thought? Well, application. Uh, How does this affect you and help you in your life? Um, yes, it's a wonderful thing to think about and look forward to, but how does it help you in your life? Well, I've already flipped to Second um, Timothy 4. Listen to this. This is verse 7. Um, Paul saying, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will award to me on that day. And not only to, to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing or who have longed for his appearing, um, you know. One writer I was uh, reading said of of that and of Paul that um, he puts it in a kind of in a funky negative. How did he how did he phrase that? He said um, Paul wasn't a man of the world who faced death looking backward. You understand? He's not approaching the end of his life uh, looking backward, going, "I hope I made it." I hope I did enough. Well, let me examine my life and hope that I hope that I made the club. He's not a man looking backward. He's a man longing for what's ahead. He's longing for the person of God. He's longing for heavenly home. And that's, that's the point here, ladies and gentlemen. When you, when you look forward to this promise of fulfillment, it affects you in the now because you long for for home. It permeates everything uh, we think and do and puts a, a perspective on the pleasures and things of this life. Um, you remember the movie, The Jerk? Any of you? Anybody remember The Jerk? All right. Well, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful cerebral classic. Um, <laughs> but you know, there's one scene where, uh, you know, they've acquired... <laughs> Steve Martin invents these glasses that have a uh, a thing right here. And so you could take your glasses on and off like this. And uh, they they become they become amazingly wealthy. But then it turns out it's making everybody cross-eyed and uh, they lose all their money and they have to leave their big estate. And Bernadette Peters, uh, Steve Martin's wife, uh, she goes, what about all the stuff? You know, she doesn't mind losing the house and all, but what about all the stuff? Well, it, it puts a perspective on the stuff, doesn't it, ladies and gentlemen, that you've got a heavenly home? that you live, you live with this perspective that is beyond this life, to the giver of all these gifts, that you're going to go be with him. The Christian knows, ladies and gentlemen, that it's only stuff and that our real home is in heaven. Our journey is toward and uh, forever magnifying the person of God. All right, second point. To leave a home is to seek a home. Now, we've left off in this uh, passage here with this quartet of people and probably more who had uh, to believe promises because they couldn't see the results. And it says here in verse 13 that they greeted them from afar. So now we know the flow of of what the writer is doing here. So we continue on in verse 13. It says, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Now, that that, uh, acknowledgement of that is a big deal, and we talked last week of the importance of remembering that we are pilgrims on this earth, right? We're travelers, we're sojourners, that's so important for the Christian to keep on, on mind. That's why a book like Pilgrim's Progress was written, because we are pilgrims. We're heading through this life, we're going to some other place. Um, the the importance of the words having acknowledged cannot be uh, overstressed. They acknowledge that they were strangers and aliens. You know, they've got it on the forefront of their mind. They realize that they're travelers. Um, That that changes the way you operate within this world. You don't clamor for things of this world and find your identity in this thing, your identity in that thing. Rather, you realize, wait a minute, there's a future home. I'm just passing through here. Now, those two words... Strangers and exiles are translated in different, in different ways in, in different uh, Bible translations, but I can tell you this, they're not the rosiest of terms. Um, the idea behind the word strangers, if you, if you do kind of a word study on it, it's the idea of alien, to be an alien. And listen, an alien is a very popular political word right now, isn't it? We have aliens in this country. Now, what do we do with these aliens? I don't want to get political, but what what do we do with these aliens? Should we have compassion on them? Should we have compassion on people who are in this world and in this life and in our country and they've established themselves, and should we have compassion on them? I think we probably should. On the other hand, you know, the people who will argue that, they'll say, well, if they haven't committed a crime, um, then we should uh, show compassion on them. Well, you know, they're illegal aliens. The first thing they did was commit a crime. (laughs) They came in illegally. That's a crime. What do we do with them? All I'm saying to you is, it's a very complex thing, isn't it? Should we have compassion? Yes. Uh, Should we have our borders? Yes. I mean, what do we do? But all I'm saying is that the word alien is a freighted one. And it's a freighted word for these Christians, and it's a freighted word for you and me. We are aliens. We don't belong here. We're, We're passing through. It's not a permanent place. The idea behind the other word, other word um, uh, yeah, strangers and exiles. The idea behind exiles is um, is, um, is is that um, yeah, we're we're inhabiting a foreign land for a time, so we're exiles. It's, it's, we're aliens, but we're we're exiled. So if somebody leaves a country, they're exiled in another country. That's where they set up their home, and it's this temporary residence. And a good way to think about it would be like a, um, one of those hotels where it's, what do you call those things? Extended stay. So it's like an extended stay motel. That's, that's the Christian life. We're in an extended stay motel, uh, but it's not our home. We sing about it, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I need thee, precious Jesus. For I am very poor. And then we sing. And where do you think the songwriter got it from? Our passage. A stranger and a pilgrim. That's where he got it from. I have no earthly store. And by the way, the senior high has had it printed wrong on their screens for years. They have earthly shore. Well, that's true. We don't, it's, we, don't have, we don't own a, punk of, a hunk of property, but the idea is I have no earthly store. I don't have anything stored up. I have no storage. I have no possessions. I ain't got a shore or a store. <laughs> I'm a stranger. I'm a pilgrim. Well, that is certainly a picture of a person who has left his or her home, isn't it? Traveling, no earthly store or shore, heading somewhere else. But not only is it leaving a place, right? It is heading to another destination, um, to leave a home is to seek a home. So let's look at verses 14 and following. It says, for people who speak thus, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. They've left one, they're seeking one. Verse 15, if they had been thinking of that land from which they have gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. All right, they could have returned home, uh, in fact, you know, I told you, here's the fertile crescent. You know, Abraham, he goes, yeah. they, they could have they gone back. They could have gone, voot, voot. but that wasn't there where their focus was. Their focus was on the promise, belief in the promise. You know, uh, when the pilgrims came over to the Americas in, what was it, 16? What was it? Something? 16 something? Huh, 20? Yeah. On the El Nino and the Pinto and the Santa Lucia when they came over. Uh, <laughs> It's a little rusty on the uh, details, but uh, <laughs> what was that? I think that's a restaurant in Bartlett. I think it's, it is, a restaurant in Bartlett. <laughs> uh, but think, ladies and gentlemen, when they're in the middle of the ocean and its horizon all around them, I bet they understood that principle pretty well. To leave a home is the seek one. You're in the middle of the ocean, we better find some land, um, that that that's the that's the principle and i've got a personal illustration for you too um I went to India on a mission trip uh years ago and um and i'll tell you it uh I, I was kind of an add on and i got kind of a, i got a christian ticket and uh, a christian ticket is uh you know how how we can get the cost absolutely lowest and make the passenger most miserable and uh so I went from like it was, a, it was the most awful ticket I've ever had. It was like Memphis to Atlanta to LaGuardia, catch a bus, cross town to JFK, to Dubai, and then to Hyderabad, India. It was awful. And then, uh, so you're over there, and it's just hot the whole time, and their culture's so different, and you get back on a plane, and then I had another zigzag through Zurich and something, and then I had to connect through Detroit, and it was like 8.20 at night, and I was just so exhausted, and I can't remember one trip is longer than the other one. I can't remember which was which, but uh, it was, I was just so exhausted, and uh, so we, we got a late start, and uh, so we get in Detroit, and I'm like, I'm just gonna make this flight if I make this flight, and so I am booking it. This is, I was much more virile back then. I was booking it top speed through the airport, just booking it, and I get to that counter dripping with sweat, and um, There's a lady behind the counter and nobody's sitting there. And I mean, I ran up to that counter, just I had run through the whole airport and I took both hands and here was the counter right here. I took both hands and I went bang (laughs) on the counter and I said, tell me that plane just didn't pull out. And she said, we just pulled the thing back and there's no getting it back. I mean, it was right there. And I said, you have got to get my body to my home tonight somehow. (laughs) And, uh, and and they did. They did. I went to Sam Adams and had a, a burger and, and perhaps something else that they made. And, uh, and uh, But, uh, I mean, I, I don't know that I've longed for home more than that. And when I got home, I just grabbed my wife and, and it, it, my dog. And it was just all I'm saying to you, ladies and gentlemen, is that intensity is what we're supposed to have all the time about our heavenly father and our heavenly home. We're just to be this forward-minded person where, yes, we live in this life, we, we, we live, we grow, we raise kids, we try to do well, we try to worship God in this, this flawed, herky-jerky world, but boy, there's this just, this pull for home, home, home. That is a hallmark of what it is to be a Christian, friends. All right, last point. God is not ashamed of you. Look at verse 16. The end of it. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Now, friends, it would be so easy to just take that verse and build some kind of heavy-handed sermon about it. God's not ashamed of you. Why are you ashamed of the God? We're not supposed to be ashamed of the gospel, it says in Romans. Why are you ashamed? Why, we need to evangelize better. That's what we need to do is evangelize better. I mean, you could just preach that all day long. But friends, let's not miss what is being said here, the profundity of it, the great comfort of it. God is not ashamed of you. They, they were heavenly minded. They, they were redeemed. They knew they were moving through this life to the presence of God, their treasure, their home, and God is not ashamed of them. Um. That, that's not just a delightful adage. Um, it, the truth results in an action. It says that God has prepared for them a city. You know what that means? He's prepared for them a home. He's prepared for them a place to dwell, to, that it would be permanent, a city, a home. That's the idea. Now, I got an application for you. If you flip through the Bible, you will find at least nine times a, an expression like this. Um, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. At least nine times you'll, you'll, you'll read that specifically, and, and many more times it is implied. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God speaking of himself, his relationship covenantally to these people. Now, I don't want to do cheap parlor tricks. I, I hate when you go to a church and they say stuff like, a preacher goes, blah, 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 say blah, blah, and everybody goes Bla, blah, blah. And uh, blah blah blah, and all the people said, you know that, that that milking the crowd for some kind of response. I think it's like insecure preaching where they need a little bit of like, are you still there? Are you still with me? Everybody say blah 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 blah. I hate that. I think it's a parlor trick. However, would you would you just? I don't think this is corny. Um, would you say your name when I point to you? You can whisper it. You can just mouth it if you want to. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's what God says. You know what that means? I am the God of Jim. He's your God. You walk in the footsteps of this one who believed the promise and that means he's your God. He's your God. That means he's not ashamed to be called your God. He rejoices over you with singing. You know, um, he freely, publicly, eternally associates himself with you. And, you know, um, in, in Jeremiah 31, 33, and in some form in the Bible, at least 28 times, God says something like, I will be their God and they will be my people. That's forever, friends. God is not ashamed of you. All right, last couple things. I got two little things. Um, Thing number one is this, traveling home. Um, Everybody's experienced going out of town, and you come home, and you slide into your sheets, and doesn't it feel good to be in your own bed? I don't know that anybody, I don't know anybody who can't relate to that. When you come home, you travel, you slide into your own bed. There's just something so, this is where I belong. And, and you know, when we go out of town, we even like to wash the sheets and I'll flip the mattress. I know you don't have mattresses that you flip, but we have a mattress we, that we, I flip. And so we'll flip it and it's extra, you know, mm, boingy. Uh, and you get home, you just slide in, and you just go, oh, man, what a feeling to be in your own bed. Well, um, it's not just a place that's familiar. It's a place of safety and rest. And friends, so it is with heaven. Last thing, I'll tell my wife sometimes, I'll say, baby, um, wherever you are is home. And uh, she's awesome. She'll, she'll say things like, you know, wherever God leads you, I will go. Um, wherever ministry takes you, I will be at your side. And that's awesome. Well, I say to her, but wherever you are is home. Wherever Tammy is is home. Um. Friend, you are a traveler, and uh, you are not alone. This ragtag, limping, sometimes feckless band of pilgrims is headed somewhere. You know where we're headed? We're headed where the person of God is. Where the person of God is, is home. Let that shape the way you live. Righteous Father, uh, we are guilty, I'm certainly guilty, of focusing on this life and things of this life, things in this life, the stuff. um, It just gets in the way, Lord, and um, it blinds and befuddles, and don't let it, Father. Let the focus of your children be on their heavenly Father. Might your Spirit work in us a greater desire and hunger for holy things, a hunger for you, the person of God, that we, might, that we might fellowship with you, that we might sup with you, that we might not be ashamed of you because you're certainly not ashamed of us. So help us on this journey, Lord. Remind us that we're sojourners. We so need it. We so need you. And we're so glad to have you now in this life and forever. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everybody.